um, a lot of women do believe they're making a decision that's in the best interest of the child. They're, they're, they are focused on making sure that their child has the best you know, chance of, of having a safe and a loving environment and a loving family. This is Caring for Both, a curbside consult series by the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, where experts offer insights on what it means to provide evidence-based, life-affirming health care to both pregnant women and their preborn children. We upload new episodes every Thursday. I'm your host for today, Miriam Diallo. This week, we're kicking off another two-part episode, so be sure to follow us on the podcast app that you're currently using so that you don't miss part two next week. When serving patients who are pregnant under tough circumstances, it's important that medical professionals make sure that these women know what their options are. We often focus on abortion on this podcast, but today we're going to explore another pregnancy option, and that's adoption. Currently, women are several times more likely to choose abortion than they are to make an adoption plan for their preborn child, and medical professionals who wish to best serve both their pregnant and preborn patients may benefit from becoming familiar with adoption as a life-affirming alternative option. Here to speak to this topic is Dr. Lisa Gilbert. Dr. Gilbert is a board-certified family physician and is on faculty at the Ascension Via Christi Family Medicine Residency Program. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. After residency, she completed a fellowship in international family medicine, received additional certification in tropical medicine, and has worked internationally in Niger, Cameroon, and Liberia. She is passionate about beginning and end-of-life issues, bioethics, and conscience protections. She serves as chair of the Ascension Via Christi Ethics Integration Committee in Wichita and also has completed a master's degree in Catholic clinical ethics from Georgetown University. She is a pro-life advocate and serves as Kansas State Director for the American Academy of Medical Ethics. Within APLOG, she is founder and chair of the Family Medicine Subsection and has served on the APLOG board for over three years. Dr. Gilbert, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Let's first start off. Can you tell us a little bit about your current practice and how did you get to doing what you currently do? Yeah. um, So I uh, became interested in medicine uh, when uh, basically by growing up overseas, I um, saw a lot of poverty um, and a lot of um, people that definitely had um, all sorts of needs from from including healthcare. And um, then... that sort of spurred my interest in medicine uh, when I came back to the U.S. and went to college and medical school and was really interested in international uh, medical work uh, at that point. Um, and um, after I did some work overseas, I had a rural practice for about three years uh, in Kansas, and then I transitioned uh, into faculty, which is my current position. So I've been able to see um, healthcare, including obstetrics, in a variety of different settings, um, both in a in a rural setting as well as a urban setting and internationally. Definitely seems like you you have a fairly diverse uh, set of perspectives on this issue. So pivoting to today's topic, um, I'd love to know if you've ever served women personally who are considering making an adoption plan for their child. 
Yeah, I have, um, both in my own practice as well as on faculty now. Uh, we, I oversee residents, and um, we have an uh, adoption agency that will often send patients uh, to our residency program for their prenatal care. And so I've been able to oversee some residents that have been serving patients that are also considering uh, making an adoption plan as well. Um, I guess one of my, my own most notable uh, situations was a woman that um, came in in labor uh, when I was in private practice and uh, delivered very shortly thereafter, I think within 10 minutes of arrival um, at our facility. It had no prenatal care. And um, as you can imagine, things were a little bit chaotic trying to get her um, uh, registered. And, and uh, she had a, a few uh, postpartum complications that we had to address. And uh, then the nurse uh, approached me about 30 minutes later and said, you know, the patient just told me that she's not interested in parenting. And um, she had really not expressed any any sort of bonding with the child, really didn't want to have anything to do with it, with the with the newborn. And so I stepped back into the room and I was able to talk with her for a little bit. And she confirmed that that, you know, she she really didn't. Um, desire this pregnancy and also didn't desire to to parent. And that was one of the reasons she came to our facility is because she said, no one, no one knows me here. And I just essentially wanted to, to be as far away from my current situation as I could be. Um, in that situation, I was able to uh, immediately call an adoption agency that um, I knew, and they sent someone out to meet with her and talk with her. And uh, kind of incidentally, the the couple that she picked, they, they provided her with a number of different profiles, and she picked one couple. And that couple actually was going to be passing through our small town the next day um, on a cross-country uh, trip. And so um, they were very surprised, um, picked up a car seat, came, and, and a few days later, the adoption was finalized. Um, so that was um, um, a good situation, and we tried to maintain contact with that, um, with that uh, birth mom afterwards and try to support her and, and help her um, as much as we were, as much as she gave us permission to do, um, just to make sure that she was okay and that, you know, we were helping her to be in a good situation. Wow, so certainly great that you were prepared to give her and her child the kind of support that they needed. Um, based on your experience, why do you think it's important for medical professionals to know about adoption? Well, I think examples like that, um, although probably somewhat rare, um, just show the importance of, of being equipped for that. Um, I would say in general, you know, most medical professionals are going to partner with a patient throughout her prenatal care as she's considering an adoption plan. And so with that, there's a lot of opportunities for education um, and for, um, you know, making sure that the woman is making an informed uh, decision about her adoption. Um, and one of the things that I really wanted to emphasize on this podcast was just the importance of language because um, there's there's ways of using language that can be really empowering for women and and help them feel um, you know secure and uh, confident in their decision and then there's also language that can be very shaming for women and a lot of women that have placed children for adoption have come back to say like this was the sort of language that um, was not helpful for me to hear and so an example of that is to you know put up for adoption or to give up the baby for adoption and that's very common that we use this language. Um, so it's just important to, to recognize that, that it makes it sound like the woman is not making a thoughtful plan. Um, and so it, 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 can, it can really just make it seem like she's just sort of tossing her baby to the wind, which is not what a lot of these women are, are doing. They are making a very thoughtful um, and difficult decision to place their child for adoption. Some of them actually do want to parent, but recognize that they're not in a position to do so and really don't think that they'll be in a position where they'll be able to parent that child. 
So that's just one example. Um, instead of saying that, you can say to make uh, an adoption plan or to place for adoption. And I think that that's really um, important and empowering for women to hear. Um, another thing is, um, I, I think there's a lot of good intention to use very um, uh, encouraging language like, oh, you're so brave, you can do this. And that can also um, be very helpful for women. And it can also, if, if they haven't you know, finalize that adoption decision in their mind, that can also um, maybe be perceived as a bit coercive or um, or maybe taken in a negative light. So you, you want to kind of gauge where the patient is at before you're, you know, sort of, you know, championing her decision if, if she hasn't actually fully made and committed to that decision yet. Um, and so, and I think the second thing that I just want to emphasize for medical professionals, um, especially those of us that, um, you know, we are life affirming, and that's very important that we affirm the the life of both the, the woman and her preborn child, um, but also to recognize that we, we may have personal biases about adoption itself. Um, and we may have known people who've been adopted who have had good experiences or maybe not good experiences. Um, we may know people that are struggling with infertility that are, you know, approaching us. Do you know anyone that is interested in, you know, placing their child for adoption? Um, and I think that it's important for us to be to be mindful of our of our biases. Um, the um, guidance out there by ACOG, which I agree with fully, is you shouldn't broker an adoption. Like you shouldn't um, be the person that's trying to connect the patient directly with an adoptive couple. It really needs to go through an adoption agency or through an attorney um, because otherwise you can get into some, some, some real conflict of interest um, when it comes to making those decisions. Or conversely, if you really think that the woman, you know, should parent and, and, and maybe you have some biases against adoption um, because you've seen maybe some of the challenges that that has had, you need to be very careful and mindful about that as well because um, uh, that, you know, that may be the decision that she needs to make is, is an adoption plan. Um, I think some of us want to champion, like if she wants to parent and we're going to do all of these things to try to get her into the situation where she would be in a safe place to parent, but that, that may not be realistic for her. And she may, she may know that. And um, we, we just need to be able to affirm her and meet her where she's at. Absolutely. There's certainly a lot of complex factors that go into uh, this decision, and it's important for medical professionals to be aware of them so they can best navigate that with their patient. Um, so further helping medical professionals get prepared to have these kinds of conversations with their patients, um, I'm wondering, when we think about the women you might have the opportunity to counsel through an adoption decision, what might that patient and her life look like? What are the demographics of women who choose adoption? Well, that's a good question. I, I think a lot of us have um, maybe some ideas, either based on our own experiences or sometimes just in, in popular culture. We've seen movies like Juno. It's this young girl. She's in high school. She sort of, you know, becomes pregnant accidentally, was not intended. Um, she doesn't have any you know, medical problems or, or um, there's no substance use involved, you know, and, and then she bonds with this couple and, and, and has this um, experience where uh, it ends up turning out positively. Um, and, and that, that does happen. That absolutely can happen. But I think it's important to recognize that about 70% of women have already had a pregnancy. Um, and it's really only 30% where it's their first pregnancy. Um, some of those pregnancies may have ended in uh, abortion. Some of them may have ended in situations where they are currently parenting and don't feel like they can parent another child. Sometimes they've had children already removed uh, from custody and have been placed in foster care or kinship care. Um, and they may be working to regain 
um, custody of those of those children uh, that are already born. Um, and um, and just as a as an aside, it is entirely possible for her to place a child for adoption while she's working on reunification with her other children. So that comes up as a concern a lot that women. Um, are, are very invested in, in the children that they've had in regaining custody of those children that are in the foster system. Um, but this does not, uh, making an adoption plan actually does not jeopardize that reunification process. Um, a little more than half are, are white, about a quarter are black, and about 10% are Hispanic. So I think that's also important to recognize that um, there is um, a variety of backgrounds that women will be coming from. Um, at least in my experience, I, I know that there is a component of mental health um, concerns in some women, substance abuse in some women. Um, there, a lot of women are, are housing insecure or job insecure. Um, they may be struggling to make ends meet. Um, and, and a lot of women have had trauma that has led to the situation where they're, they're you know, creating a, an adoption plan or at least considering it. So just being very trauma-informed, being very... Um, mindful of how you have these conversations with women, I think is really important. Um, so, and again, just some of these women do want to parent, and but they, they recognize that they're not in a, in a place to do that. And they want to place their child in a situation outside of the foster system. So that can be one of the reasons why women are, are looking at adoption, as opposed to having the child go through DCF into the foster system and then trying to regain uh, parental rights later on. Um, and then just to step out a bit, just so that we're kind of aware of the numbers, um, since a lot of us uh, listening to this podcast are numbers people, there's about 100,000 to 135,000 adoptions every year, but only a small, only about a quarter of these are, are um, you know, direct private domestic adoptions of, of newborns. So the majority of adoptions taking place in our country are through the foster system. They are public adoptions. And so there are children that have been in the foster system for some period of time and are, um, you know, placed either as a sibling set or individually with a, with an adoptive family. And sometimes it can be the foster family themselves and sometimes it's a different family. And, um, but the reason I bring that up is I don't want this podcast in any way to diminish the need for foster parents and the need for um, for public adoptions through the foster system. Um, but this is just how we address our own, you know, patients as they're going through prenatal care and considering an adoption plan uh, for their for their newborn. Absolutely. Yeah, it's important to be aware of, of uh, some misconceptions that people might have about who all makes a, a decision and, and what uh, the numbers on adoption look like. Further correcting some misconceptions, I'm wondering what reasons might go into an adoption decision for a pregnant woman? Well, that, that's also a good question because I think most of us can imagine what reasons women have and we may have um, discussed with patients. And those are the majority of the reasons, financial concerns, feeling too young or maybe too immature to parent, um, and a desire to place that newborn within a loving and healthy family. Um, a lot of women do believe they're making a decision that's in the best interest of the child. They're, they're, they are focused on making sure that their child has the best you know, chance of, of having a safe and a loving environment and a loving family. Um, so, you know, some women do have personal safety concerns. They may, like I said, be housing insecure. Um, and so they may desire to have um, a different life for their child than they may have. Um, but I think there's a couple of other things um, just to mention within that of why women might not be open to adoption um, in ways that we might be able to provide some education on. 
Um, and this uh, information comes from the OPT Institute, which has done just a lot of great research on this. Um, and so one of the reasons um, that women have stated is that they just simply don't have enough information about adoption to consider it. Um, and that is, I think, easily remedied in our offices. And, and most of us have a social worker that we can connect patients with. Um, there may be specific questions for their situation. Maybe the father of the baby is not on board with adoption and, and they need some more guidance on that from a legal perspective. That's where our social workers can be really helpful for women. Um, and then others do confuse foster care and adoption. Um, I, I do think foster care um, has... Um, in some situations, a negative reputation for abuse and neglect. And so sometimes women will think that if their child is in being placed for an adoption as a newborn, that they're going into a similar situation. And, and that's just simply not the case. Like women, uh, couples that are interested in adoption have gone through um, a fair bit of screening. They have to have a home inspection. They have to have health inspection. Um, and they have to go through classes. And they're usually very, very highly motivated to be able to care for this uh, newborn. So just letting them know that it is it is a different situation than being sort of tossed from family to family within a foster system or just having some of the insecurities or the risk factors that the foster system has, unfortunately. Um, and then some women don't know that... Um, there are um, adoptive couples that are willing to take children with special needs. And, and I think that's really um, important to emphasize that just because a child has, say, you know, Down syndrome or has had some other, you know, abnormality that they found on, on prenatal screening or, or ultrasound, that that doesn't mean that there's not families out there that would be more equipped to be able to care for that child. And so that's another thing that you can um, just provide her some information on. Um, another thing that a lot of women um, who have placed for adoption have a fear about is that they're going to be portrayed as being like a bad mother to the, you know, within the context of the new adoptive family. And they, they are afraid of just that just kind of compounds that shame that we talked about earlier. So I think that's another thing to emphasize is that um, there's different types of adoption. There's closed adoption, there's open adoption. We'll probably talk about that here in a little bit. But letting her know that um, she does have the ability to have a relationship with that child as the child grows. Um, and she can, you know, be um, kind of a positive influence in that child's life. And a lot of adoptive couples are very, very open and receptive to that. They they really honor the woman's decision and they are uplifting in their language about her. And so that child... Um, is often, you know, brought up in the environment where they see that, you know, their their birth mom did um, choose their best interest and really wanted to see them, you know, flourish and, and thrive in life. So um, I think that's another area that we can provide some education on um, that um, can at least inform patients before they make a final plan about whether or not to pursue an adoption plan. Oh, and another thing, um, some women believe, you know, they've heard adoption is very expensive. And there are some women um, on this research that said that they didn't feel like they could afford it, not recognizing that it's actually the adoptive couple that, you know, pays the expense of the attorney um, fees and all of that. It's not the it's not the birth mom that has to cover those costs. Thank you so much, Dr. Gilbert, for the insights you've provided so far. I look forward to continuing this conversation in part two, where we'll go into further detail on how medical professionals can support women considering making an adoption decision. And a massive thank you to our listeners for joining us today. 
If you like this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating and a review on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. If you have any topic requests, you can reach out to us on social media via the links in the description of this episode or via email at info at aaplog.org. If you're a medical professional interested in joining the AppLog community, we'd love to have you become a member by going to aaplog.org join. We exist to support your pro-life practice. We will see you next week.